Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And uh, after another semi-week off, or full week off, I guess, we have a ton of news to talk about. Um, I mean, a bunch of stuff. Uh, we skipped last week because we didn't really feel like there was enough to talk about. There was two or three things, and then we've had some of the busiest 48 hours since Chase and I were just talking off air since like the day that Hallford Larson went one for one and Weber and Subban went one for one and Stamkos resigned. Like it feels like it's been the busiest. Some of the names aren't, uh, most of the names aren't quite that big at all, but um, it's just been so much news and some unexpected news as well. So um, it started off, I guess, on the uh, note that you don't really want to, it's older news, but from a uh, over, um, not Canada day, July 4th, uh, Matthias Kivlenix passed away uh, in a fireworks accident. He was only 24 years old, Columbus Blue Jackets goalie, of course. Uh, there's not really much to say here other than condolences to uh, you know him and you know thoughts are with him, his family and friends. Uh, we've seen his teammates and ex-teammates speak out about it online and you know just how good of a guy he is. And uh, again, there's not a ton to be said about it other than just it sucks to see. You never want to see that happen to anyone, right? Yeah, exactly. It's one of those just truly awful things. There's no other side of the coin here. It's just horrible for his friends and his family and for everyone there. And best wishes to all of them, basically, is all you can say. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, um, I, I think most people now probably know most of the details. Um, it sounds like, you know, they were having a 4th of July party and firework went out of control and he was hit with it, which is, you know, scary, scary stuff. But, uh, um, you know, it's just shows you how quick life goes sometimes. So um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we need to touch on it too more than that. I, but I, I also felt it was uh, important, you know, to, to mention it, that, that it did happen. Um, so well, let's move on. Um, the, the rest of this podcast, I think should be uh, a lot more enjoyable for at least the listeners, because uh, there's going to be some yelling in this one. I can promise you that, but uh, start with Stanley, <laughs> let's start with the Stanley cup finals. Let, let, let's get the, you know, it feels already like this was a month ago. I don't know about you, but just with everything that's happened, it feels like these wrapped up a month ago and it was about a week ago today. Um, Tampa knocks off the, the Habs in five. Um, it was just kind of a series that we thought was going to happen to Habs in rounds one, three and five, but or in five in round four, sorry, but it happened in round four. Um, you know, the Habs hung in there for game two. They outplayed Tampa for game two, but Tampa's high in talent and, you know, Vasilevsky took over and when they didn't win game two and went down two, nothing, and then three, nothing, you kind of knew the series was over. They grabbed game four, but, but couldn't do it in five. So Tampa repeats back-to-back champions. Um, when we got to the final, I mean, me and you both kind of predicted this, you know, we thought I said six, I believe you said five, but um, it's pretty impressive. Nonetheless, like this is uh um, we, we've talked about just how dominant the Tampa team has been all year, you know, like Colorado looked better at times this year, just from an on ice standpoint, but, um, Tampa was, you know, obviously the, the 18 mil over the cap stuff and everything like that. But, um, you know, that they just give the team credit because they put together one hell of a roster. Yeah, absolutely. And I really love, like you can see with their 18 mil over the cap shirts and everything like they're just leaning into being like the nhl's patriots from like 2000 to 2019 like they're just clearly the bad guys and they kind of can't be stopped and they're just so leaning into it and i'm not a Tampa fan but i think it's awesome to see 
Yeah, I mean, like more of the story right now is not as much about them going back to back cups as it is that they're leaning into actually being the villain and showing some personality, which uh, everyone want, has been dying for in the NHL for so long. You know, Nikita Kucherov had that epic rant 45 minutes after they had won the cup, and he already looked like he was absolutely pinned. And he said it was number one bullshit that Vasilevsky didn't win the Vesna uh, this year or last year, which, um, you know, personally, I, I don't think Vasilevsky should have won both years, maybe one of them. But um, at the same time, it's hilarious to see. And, uh, you know, my, my take on it all of last week was if you're someone who's been asking for personality, you can't turn around and bitch now that they're actually showing some personality. If you're a Habs fan, um, you know, Kudrov also had another just vicious comment about um, the, the fans celebrating after the round three win. And that was their Stanley Cup, which is hilarious, seems kind of true, but also like, you know, it's just, it's funny. Like there's nothing else to say other than that. And um, you, you can't complain about it. If you're a Habs fan, be mad at him. That's fine. Go boo him when he touches the puck every time he comes to the Bell Center next year. But if, if you're mad that he's actually speaking out, like, come on, like this is what people have wanted for. And this is engaged with people all week too. A hundred percent. And admittedly, like there was a lot of outrage being like, you can't be mad at this. But for the most part, what I saw, it was just overwhelmingly people being like, this is absolutely freaking amazing for hockey, what he's doing. Yeah, I think in general, I, I think Habs fans were definitely, I say I follow enough Habs fans on my timeline that mine was a little more skewed. But at the same time, it's like if it's a Habs fan just being angry, that's fine. I, I got an argument with a couple of people about like who thought it was disrespectful to Mark andre Fleury because he said, what's the guy's name in Vegas? And that's where I disagree, where it's just, again, like it's a guy showing per- like who cares? It's hilarious. He's starting a rivalry. And if, if Fleury's pissed off, I hope he says something about it because that's what I want to see, you know, like, um, but yeah, generally speaking, I do think the people we follow at least think, you know, this is great. And a large majority of the people did, but there was a lot of uh, people, even in the comments now calling the team classless or whatever, when they dented the Stanley cup. Yeah. Did they ever show what happened to the cup? I just saw it was dented. No, I don't think I, I mean, unless I missed it, I didn't see what happened. I just saw that there was a massive dent around the bowl. Yeah. It looked really bad. The one picture they had of it, which is, I'm actually surprised these trophies. And I think it's pretty well known that it's not the real Stanley cup that they party with because like stuff like this seems like it should happen almost every year with how absolutely sauce these guys get for like weeks on end with it. Yeah, I think it does get damaged more than we uh, we see or know. Like, uh, it's definitely not the first time that the Stanley Cup has been, um, you know, dented really pretty badly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's funny to see, and you know, they're having a good time. That's all you can ask for. And um, it's kind of cool to see too that you know they repeated. They won in the bubble last year, and I I can't imagine that felt nearly as similar when you know COVID was kind of in full swing at that point. But you know, um, now that well, especially in the States, COVID is done. And, but even here in Ontario, we're starting to get back to normal. Right. And um, the fact that they could win again in front of their hometown, uh, you know, their, their fans at home and then have the parade at home with, you know, everyone there. It's kind of cool to see, like, it's good for them that, you know, they got to experience both. Oh, absolutely. And like, from what I understand, bars and stuff are like fully open in the States. Right everything is fully open. Like they are yeah. just packing like 40,000 people in, in baseball stadiums and, and every, yeah, everything is just full swing. Yeah. So as much as, even if you don't love the lightning, like these guys are clearly so good. It's, it's cool to be able to see them get the full experience because it, it would, sorry, it would be great to win no matter the context, but like, you it know, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Like, and even just winning in front of literally an empty building last year would not have been the same as it was winning in front of a bunch of like 20,000 screaming fans this year. Right. Like exactly. It's just so much cooler. It's why probably a good chunk of these guys do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, 100%. And, um, you know, that they have an interesting off season coming up. I don't think they're going to be in that much trouble. You know, obviously um, uh, they're going to lose Barkley Goudreau. They're going to lose Blake Coleman. There's no way they're paying those two guys, but um, I think it seems like a given that one of Johnson, Gord or Palat are probably gone to um, um, uh, Seattle in the expansion draft. I think they probably want to be Tyler Johnson. Who's got three more years left at five. Uh, Gord's got four more years left at 5.1, but is a better player. Uh, and Pilat's got one more year at 5.3. I wouldn't be shocked if they need to move a second. Like it wouldn't shock me if Pilat and Johnson didn't come back next year, um, but they're definitely gonna have to move one. I think they're probably like people make a big deal about their cap situation. Cause right now they uh, are over the cap um, and they have to re-sign um, the Ross Colton who shouldn't sign to uh, shouldn't uh, cost too much. Um, and that's about it. They need to find a backup goaltender as well. And then they'll just need to replace their forwards internally. Um, but I, I think they're just going to probably pick up a lot more, like more LTIR money, kind of like they did this year, you know, like they'll probably pick up another Anders Nielsen and Marion Gabbert type who are not going to play for them, but will help boost their cap situation. And they are, will very likely be good to go from there. Yeah. They'll still probably be all right. They're going to have to get creative with the LTI IR, like you said, but like I'm thinking the most likely scenario is either Seattle just takes Yanni Gord and then they trade Palat for a pick or something somewhere, or they pay for Johnson to get taken and then they still end up dumping a guy like Palat just to fill up a roster or whatever. But like that's not it's not nothing, but it's not the end of the world for the Tampa Bay Lightning. No, this team is not going to get gutted like some people seem to think. They're going to have to they have to sign Cal Foot as well. But again, I don't think that should cost too much. Um, and then they'll be able to run it back with Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev, Cernak, uh, Ruda, Foot on the back end. And then up front, Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, probably one, maybe two of Palat, Gorder, Johnson, Sorelli, uh, Kalorn. Um, you know, Kalorn's maybe another player that you can move, but I, I doubt they'll want to move him. Um, you know, uh, Patrick Maroon will, I, I could see him re signing for cheap again next year. Um, or sorry, he is he is signed still for uh, one more year. Cap friendly's throwing me off because they've already updated to next year. So there's a bunch of guys UFA, and I keep thinking the contract it means it's done this year, but it's not. They have one more year, so um, I, I don't know. I, I think they should be fine. They're they're obviously going to lose some players, but uh, I, I don't think it'll be like they're they're going into next year. They should still probably be the favorites to to win the cup. And if the reason they're not is because Vegas has so much of an easier road for a division, that's about the only reason I could see. Yeah, or if Colorado has a great offseason, that makes sense. Yeah, and but just from, like, best best team on ice standpoint, I think they should still be considered the best team going into next year. They'll just be in a, a, a tough division again, too. Yes, and that will absolutely suck for them. But through the Tampa Bay Lightning, I'm sure they'll be fine. Yep. Um, on the other hand, uh, the, you know, the team that lost in the finals uh, – it's going to be an interesting – I'm really curious to see as this offseason progresses. It'll depend on what the team does and what other teams do too, but I'm really, really curious to see heading into next year um, where people peg the Montreal Canadiens, uh, you know, heading into the year. If 
most people bump them up to a playoff team because of this run, you know, maybe even like top three in the division because of this run, or if it's going to be out of the playoffs, because right now just forecasting, I wouldn't have this team in the playoffs. If I did, it would probably be, you know, the second wild card spot um, as, as a playoff team. But like, I definitely don't think it's a given that they made it back. I'm sure you said uh, most people who, you know, think are, are stat minded like us probably think the same way, just what we've seen off this team for a couple of years. But, um, you know, they seem to be believing what they did right. It was right because they hired, uh, sorry, re-signed Dominic Ducharme for the full-time head coach for three more years. Um, I, I don't know about you. I have some thoughts on that. I don't even think like it's hard to say a guy's not a good coach when he makes it to the head uh, Stanley Cup Finals, but like, I don't know if Ducharme is that great of a coach, dude. Like, I thought this was defensible, but dumb. Yeah, like it's it's hard. It's hard to especially justify to your fan base that you're walking away from the head coach that took you to the Stanley cup finals. Like I, I get that, especially from like a casual standpoint of view. And then especially if you don't do good next year, casual fans would be like, what in the actual hell did you just do? Oh, it's a big optics thing. If you let go of that coach and then you inevitably regress next year, it reminds me actually a little bit of the, the carry price contract when it was signed, where we were like, Hey, this is objectively stupid. But if you, what do you but do? then pushback was like, well, if you want to be the one who goes to the fan base that says we're letting Carey Price walk, good fucking luck to you. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, like the, so the the biggest reason that I think that this, you know, the, the show why this is uh, um, <laughs> might not be the greatest, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to finish his three years with Montreal. Let's put it that way. And this is a, a Jeff Felliette tweet. Uh, hard to argue with this. Montreal started the season with a nine and nine record, 57% expected goal share and a plus 11 goal difference. Uh, once Julian got fired and Ducharme took over, he turned them right around and led them to a 28 and 32 record, 50% expected goal share and a minus 21 goal difference worthy of a long-term commitment. And that is the highlight of, you know, what happened. And yes, there's stuff, there's injuries and stuff in there too, but um, it's just kind of, uh, like that that's the perfect way to show in my opinion that um they just like this could go so wrong so quickly next year exactly and if you're gonna play the injuries excuse maybe don't have the guy who leads your team in points per 60 over the past three years and thomas tatar scratched throughout the whole playoffs and and that's the other thing it's like when you do look at like even if you want to just say okay well let's look into his coaching decisions what did he do oddly different than Claude Julian I would argue he did stuff worse than Claude Julian it's just he got a better carry price come playoff time and that was the difference you know like he scratched Thomas Tatar all playoffs who's a legitimate first liner at worst a good second liner he scratched Nick's or not Nick Suzuki um uh Cole Caulfield to start the uh, the Toronto series. And when he put him in after everyone had been screaming for four games to put him in, he went down and scored the overtime winner or assisted on the overtime winner. He decided to be a great idea to scratch Cockney in the, in the finals, which I don't really understand that either. Um, you know, and, and Romanov didn't play until game five of the Stanley cup finals. It's like just th- those kind of decisions. It's like, I don't really, think they were smart at all. And I, I, you know, like, again, we talked about it a couple times during the playoffs, like good for the Habs team, but like, I think they got to the cup final in spite of Dominic Ducharme, not because of Dominic Ducharme. Oh, absolutely. It was almost as if, like, if you paid stats Twitter to stereotype everything wrong with the NHL coaching 
uh, profession, like you would just get what Ducharme did in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. And like, on top of that, they won around without him even behind the bench. The dude had COVID for like six of the games and they absolutely destroyed the Vegas Golden Knights without him. So, and it's like, I get like he has, again, he has roster help, but it's just like, I don't know. Like this is one that I would be really shocked if he ends the three-year contract as a member of the Montreal Canadiens head coach. Like, I, I don't think he lasts all three years, but. Oh yeah. I would love to bet against it if anybody's uh, interested. I completely agree. Yeah. Like it just, it has disappointing season next year, relative to expectations written all over it. And then year two, if they're not, again, if they're not uh, top three in the division halfway through the year, I I could see them getting the ax right away, whether that's um, because Bergevin's trying to save his own job once again, or because they just ax everyone and uh, you know, try and get out of it. Yeah. Cause that's a big problem. Obviously going to the cup finals, I guess is never actually a problem, but uh anchoring exists and the expectations are going to be way too high so even if Ducharme comes out and this team is like two games above 500 that's going to be called a disappointment when in reality given where this roster has been for the past few years over the course of the regular season that's actually probably a decent win yeah so we'll see where it goes but um, I mean and and good for Ducharme like he gets a three-year payday at what I'm assuming is a significant raise from what he probably was making before so um, so 1.7 million currently has that. That'd be nice. Yeah. So, um, you know, good, good for him. It's not like, you know, like we just uh, should talk to him a little bit, but that's just his on ice stuff. He seems like a nice guy and, and everything. So, um, you know, you always like to see people get paid um, and especially coaches because it doesn't go on the cap. So uh, make the, make the owners pay as much as you possibly can. That's my thing, but um, let's move on. Uh, a couple more small things before we get into really the uh, two, Two or three really big items for today. Um, I'm still just going kind of from a couple, the oldest to newest, it feels like. Uh, Tarasenko has requested a trade from the St. Louis Blues. Um, One of the bigger names we've heard request out um, in a while, I feel like. Uh, He has dealt with injuries, obviously, quite a bit over the last couple of years to the point where he really has not been able to, since the cup run, he just really hasn't been able to be a key contributor for the team. Um, when he's healthy, he's still been pretty good. You know, he had 10 points in 10, like he only played 10 NHL games in 2019-20 and just 24 this past year. Um, he had 10 points in 10 games and then 14 points in 24 games this past year. So when he has been able to stay healthy, he still puts up points, but um, he has not been able to stay healthy. So that's the biggest risk for a team acquiring him. But um, this will be an interesting um, negotiation for St. Louis here because I really think some team could uh, hit, hit this out of the park. Yeah, the fit is going to be tough because the downside risk is so big, but I think some team could end up looking absolutely freaking amazing if they get 26-year-old Tarasenko here. Yeah, and like if I'm a team acquiring Tarasenko, like I guess the, the, the biggest, like the worst-case scenario is that he's um, – hurt enough that or he's just not who he was before so you still have to play and pay him that 7.5 for two more years but you can't put him on LTIR but if he stays as injured as he is the past two years and you give up some kind of asset to to go for it with him and he just can't play I mean that's unfortunate but there's also a good chance you could throw him on LTIR if he's really that hurt and suddenly it doesn't hurt your team near as much than just having 7.5 sit there collect dust on your fourth line or whatever yeah, it doesn't look as bad. What kind of team do you want to look into this? Like a Tarasenko? 
it's tough because like so few teams have cap space, but like, I don't think they would do it. But like the Florida Panthers as a team, I kind of want to see. I have Florida's cap friendly open right now. And they were. Yeah. Be- like they got $13 million in cap space. They, I, I think Wenberg will probably walk. They have Duclair, Walmart, Sam Bennett uh, uh, as RFAs on the back end. They don't really have anything. I'm assuming Brandon Montour is going to walk. So they, they probably need to find a sixth or seventh defenseman. Um, and then who knows what they're doing with Chris Streeter. I think he's going to walk as well. Actually, you know, Ekblad's still on LTIR. So they'll be fine even for defensemen probably. Like they have, they're going to have like $10 million in cap space. Whether they want to spend to the cap is a much, much different thing. But like, I, I'm, I'm just going to go check uh, um Tarasenko's actual contract now because it would be this would be the perfect fit if he's got less actual dollars than he does. Um, um, what's he owed? Over like AAP or whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's not good. He's got a base salary of nine point five this year, um, and a mm-hmm. base salary of five point five next year. So I mean, it's not like that bad. He's got basically his cap hit. Like he's owed fifteen million, and he's got a cap hit of. 15 million, I guess. So it's the exact same money just spread over more this year than it is next year. But like that, that's a good team. I think in terms of like, they need to be going for it now and they could really use the peak Tarasenko. Yeah. That's the exact kind of tier of team. I was thinking like one who's going to be at least mediocre. like the floor is at least mediocre, but the ceiling isn't super high next year. Like a Florida, Montreal Montreal. I was going to say, Montreal's not a bad one. They don't have money, but the Islanders are a team I think should really look into this. Can I give you one more? Yeah. The Hurricanes. Yeah, the Hurricanes is another one I was kind of eyeing up. That would be a great fit, too, because they have so much money. Yeah, it, and it's a bit boomer bust, but like, it sounds like Hamilton's probably going to walk unless he can't find something he really likes on the free agent market. So, you know, I think that hurts the team, obviously. That brings them back a lot. And I think that hurts the team a lot more than, you know, maybe the public thinks that hurts the team. But that's going to free up another $6 million. Like, they have $29 million in cap space. They're going to have to sign a couple defensemen. They have four defensemen right now. Um, they're going to have to sign two goaltenders. They have none. Uh, Nedeljkovic is an RFA. Um, and then they have to sign Svechnikov, which should be an interesting contract negotiation. But, like, all things considered, like they'll probably have at least seven and a half million sitting around um, unless they go and make a big free agent splash. Like, and the, the, the reason I say Carolina is because their team, it's just like, they just kind of feel stuck, you know, like they have a good team and maybe they can just keep kind of running it back with this core. But like, it feels like they need that extra piece to put them over the top. And if you get peak Tarasenko, that could go a very, very long way. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what we said when the uh, they got put out by the Lightning because everybody was like, oh, the Hurricanes are a really, really smart team and the future is only getting brighter, which, like, I agree, they're an incredibly smart team, but it's very realistic to think without making dramatic moves. Like, this season was the best you're going to see in Carolina for a year or two, and one way to mitigate that would be getting Pete Tarasenko. Yeah, absolutely. Um the Dallas Stars are another team. I don't know if he would fit into that system as well, but they're another team that it kind of feels like they're just stuck in no man's land right now. Obviously, yeah. it went to the cup final last year and missed the playoffs this year. They had a ton of injuries this year, but like 
they kind of feel like a team that just like needs to push their chips in if they're gonna do it, do it now. Like so again, like that that'd be an okay risk, I think, if I was them. Given how bad I think their division's gonna be outside of Vegas, and if but only if they're keeping Goudreau for next year, Calgary would be another cool one. Yep, that's true. I, I'm really interested to see what Calgary does because they after this year, it felt like they were ready to just absolutely tear it apart. But, um, you know, maybe they say, let's run it back. We already have Markstrom. Like, let's not try and wait. We have one more year. Giordano, you know, Goudreau's in the last year of his contract. Kachuk's in the last year of his contract. Let's see what we got and go for it. Um, Minnesota, I would say, would have been another one. But we're going to get to them in a little bit. Don't you worry. Um, I think they are probably off the table for taking any money past this year now. Um. Yeah. What would, I guess the other thing to look at is what do you think the Blues can even get back in a Tarasenko trade? I think the best way for the Blues to get assets back in this Tarasenko trade, given the uncertainty or the highest like expected value the Blues can get back, is conditional picks. Mm. Yeah, that's a good I, – I like that a lot. Like if he plays <laughs> X amount of games, this fifth-round pick turns into a third or whatever – yeah, because, like, you could even set them ridiculous. Because, like, you're not getting a first for Tarasenko right now or anything close, but you'd be like, oh, if he's a point-per-game player and you make the playoffs, this turns into a first. Every team yeah, the, is going to be okay with that. It's plausible, right? Yeah, you'd have to set, like, a game's played limit, I'm assuming. Like, he's got to play at least 60 yeah. games or whatever, right? But Yeah, you'd have to think through some, like, intelligent but realistic conditions where, like, you're getting better picks as long as Tarasenko hits for them. So then the other team doesn't care. They're happy to give you the better pick and you're swinging on the upside of maybe getting a first or a second or whatever it is. Yeah. I like that a lot. I wish more teams would actually think like that, but that would, uh, that would require NHL GMs to actually do a hard job chase. And uh, you know, a lot of them don't like that, but um, yeah, I think that's a good way. Um, I, there's no way they're getting a first. Uh, I don't think um, no. like Honestly, if they're going to, if they can't do the conditional pick kind of thing, I'd almost rather them see, not take a bunch of garbage. You don't, but like take a bunch of lower picks instead of a singular second round pick. Like, yeah, be like, instead of a second, be like, we'll take a two fourths, a sixth and two sevenths or whatever. And just be like, listen, we were either going to get a singular second round pick, which probably is going to be like the fifties or sixties. Now we have five assets where it's like, all of those added up are probably worth more than a late second. Yeah, and if there's one team that could do that well, you'd think it'd be St. Louis because they don't just have, like, an individual roster hole. Like, it's pretty clear they need to restock for the next version of the Blues that's going to be competitive. Yeah, because, like, honestly, they're a team that could use a uh, peak Tarasenko because they're kind of stuck in no man's land either. Like, they're, this is an old roster. Their average age up front is 28 and 27.8 on the blue line. Um, you know, like Perry Aiko's 28 already. Um, Krug is 30. Justin Falk is 29. Even Jordan Cairo's 23. 23. You know, Barbashev's 25. That new wave of Robert Thomas is 22. So that new wave of players is getting up there as well. But um, then you look at the top, Ryan O'Reilly's 30. Tarasenko's 29. So is Shen. Perron's 33. Like it's not a, it's not, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. It's not a young team anymore. That's for sure. Yeah. And it looks like, none of the up and coming guys have truly hit outside of like Vince Dunn, but they hate Vince Dunn for whatever reason. So yeah. Like, so 
Yeah, I never thought about St. Louis as a test. It's too bad he asked out because the most realistic antidote for St. Louis to be good again next year is actually Paris Hankin just being good again. Yeah, like I, I don't really see St. Louis is going to be an interesting team. They feel like a team that's going to just be hovering around the playoff bubble just about every year. They're going to get in. They're going to be a pain in the ass to play for about five or six games in the playoffs, but are going to lose every year, or they're going to miss by about three points, depending on how good or bad the division is in that given year. But like, I don't see a a way that this team reaches Stanley cup peaks anymore. And unless Bennington just absolutely sucks ass, I don't really see a way where they're a bottom five team year after year right now, either until a couple of their old guys get older. Yeah. They like, traded O'Reilly and let Perrieco walk or something. I can see them bottoming out, but like as the roster is currently constructed, they're perfectly mediocre. Yeah. So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, cool that, you know, again, another big name requesting a trade. I hope that uh, GMs actually try and go get someone like that and not just make the excuse of all oh, the caps too tight. We're getting way too hard or anything like that, because um, that is uh, insufferable to be, uh, quite honest like do your job go get talent it is the worst like i love hearing down goes brown about how much he hates that it's my yeah, favorite part absolutely um let's get in the minnesota wild there is let's get to the um, smaller stuff first there was a bombshell drop today um me and uh, chase and i were actually discussing if we should um um record you know or late this weekend or wait until monday maybe and then monday came around and i had to push it to uh today and thank god i did because um a bombshell drop but let, let's start with the joel erickson at contract and uh, nick bukestead as well we'll touch on bukestead very quickly he signed a one-year 900k um deal cheaper than i thought not really I, I wasn't expecting him to cash out or anything but i was not expecting him to make under a mil but he seems to like it in minnesota and had a pretty good year last year so um on the Bukeshead side of things, that's pretty good value, I think, for, for Minnesota. And if he likes it there, that's good for him. Yeah, if he's happy there, don't mess with happy. And uh, it sure works well for Minnesota because Bukeshead's at worst, like, league average. Yeah, like, he's, like, I would say a third liner. Like, Yeah, just, like, a perfectly competent guy in the middle six. He can be, like, a passenger on a second line, I would expect, or just, like, a pretty good third-line player. Just perfect for 900K. Yeah, that's like a steal for 900K. So, um, yeah, I was, I was surprised almost to see how, how low that came in. But, um, yeah, and then there was a much bigger contract, Joel Erickson Eck, um, the second eight-year deal to be signed in a matter of days. Obviously, we touched on the RNH one last week uh, or our last episode. Erickson Eck signs for $5.25 million, just a touch more than 100K, more than um, RNH, $42 million total. Um, uh, Another one where they seem to be keeping the AAV low, um, but, you know, valuing at the length. But uh, I really love this deal for, for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, he is four years younger than RNH. And, um, you know, you, you I think, believe, had him as a, a Selkie candidate this year. And, I, I, you know, and people were voting him as a Selkie candidate and not um, – um, not for the wrong reasons either. Like, he, he's a very solid defensive player. I don't think he'll ever cap out as, like – this super high offensive guy, but he is a uh, play driving God and to get him for just a tad over $5 million through basically his peak years is uh, some really good value. Exactly. This is like the forward equivalent of what the Nashville Predators had with all of their defensemen for the longest time. Just like a super long-term deal and just super high upside for the team. I would be a little afraid that his defense is 
driven by the Minnesota Wild system. But the thing is, this is so cheap, even if his defense is slightly overrated by an RAPM metric, this is still a huge value contract. Yeah, like if at the worst he is an average defender or an average defensive centerman, I guess, sorry, who puts up like 40 points in a year at $5 million, you're never, ever going to complain about that. Like exactly. 40 to 45 points, right? Like it's just, and, and again, he, he's 24. Like it feels like he's older than that, but um, you know, an eight year deal only takes him until he's 32, which is right around, you know, maybe a couple years later than you want. But honestly, like there's a hand, there's a bunch of 32 year olds that are in the league right now. You probably are not going to be mad about paying $5 million to, right? So. Exactly. And with inflation at that point, $5 million is not going to be a whole lot of money. Even with a flat cap for a couple of years, it'll still be pretty cheap. Um, do you think he repeats? Like, is the offensive Joel Erickson act we saw this year real or no? Um, I'd be surprised if he scores 19 goals or like, well, so he had 19 goals in 56 games, which um, in a 82 game pace is 27.8. Uh I don't know. Like he's, he is a better shooter over his career. Like he usually has close to the same amount of goals as he does assists, but he like had eight more goals than he did assists this year. But like, maybe you say the, the secondary assists bounce out, balance out a little bit. I'd be shocked if he was a perennial 30 goal scorer, I think though. Yeah, me too. But even if he settles in as a nice play driver who pops in 20 goals, this is an awesome contract. Yeah, again, you know, you can't complain about that at all, right? Like, um, I'm just trying to pull up his shooting percentage last year, too, because it's crazy that sometimes it's as simple as just staring at that to say, no, I don't think he's going to repeat. But, um, yeah, like he shot 16% and his career average is nine. Um, I, again, maybe that career average is a little low. Maybe he's a true 12% shooter or whatever, but that would put him closer to like 15 goals this year um, and not 19, which is – a big enough difference over, you know, like that would put him closer to 21 goals over an 82 game season, um, which yeah. seems reasonable. And, but again, like you're not complaining about that at all. Like that's probably going to be one of the better value contracts for a couple years. Exactly. And I have a feeling if he gets power play time, people are going to freak out about how great this contract is because basically all of his points have come at five on five thus far in his career. So this contract could look way better on paper to a lot of people if they just start playing on the power play because you're guaranteed to get some points even if you suck at it then yeah that's a very good point as well um let's get into the big uh minnesota wild news from this uh today uh they i don't know what time it was at about midday they announced that uh they would be buying out both ryan Suter and zach parise uh in a move that uh, shocked everyone, to be honest, I I think, you know, like I did not see this coming. I don't know if you did. No, not even remote. They bought out bio-proof contract. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't even know where to start with this. So like, I I could have understood one of them. Um, And so it sounds like they bought it. Like Ryan Suter is still a first pair defenseman. Now he's at the age where he could absolutely drop off a cliff at any time. And I get that he's probably not quite what they are paying him now, but he was not a buyout candidate in my eyes, but I guess they want to protect Matt Dumba that badly that they felt they had to buy him out, um, which I guess, but then, why also buy Oprize? Because now, so I'm trying to pull up their um, 
their cap hit because I had put it online earlier today from cap friendly. Let me find it one second. So they have $5.1 million in savings for the first year. It's a $2.3 million cap. And this is per person, I should say. So it's a $2.3 million cap hit per person the first year, 6.3 the second year, 7.3 in years three and four, and then 833K for four more years after that. So in years three and four, which is 2023, uh, 24, and 2024, 25, they're going to have $14.6 million of dead money on the books because of this buyout. What And, and even in year two, they're going to have well over $12.5 million dollars. What on earth could the, like, there's no way the short-term savings are worth three years of cap hell like that with dead money on the books. I do not understand it even a little bit. Yeah. Like what does one year of $10 million in cap space do? Cause it's not even like you can go out and get Tarasenko with that because next year, all of a sudden you have an additional like $8 million just kicking in out of nowhere. Like what did they gain from this? I don't understand. Like, and like they gained the, they, they, so the, the sounds like the reason they did it is that they wanted to actually protect Matt Dumba and Sutter probably wasn't going to wave and they were going to have to protect him. So now they can protect Spurgeon, Brodeen and Dumba, but like, like you just shot yourself in the, especially because it's not like this team is the 2018 or 2019 capitals or whatever, where it's like, Oh yeah, we have like one or two more years of this core let's just say fuck it and go all in. This team is probably not going to be like, this team is not a contending team this year. If anything, I would have said they had a better chance of contending in three to four years from now, but they just absolutely shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Like for them to be a contender in 2023, that would probably be the most realistic year they could do it. They needed a few things to go right with Ryan Suter and Zach Parise's age curve. Well, now they just need to find first pairing defensemen from league men instead. Yeah, like, I just, I don't get it at all. Like, this was ridiculous. These contracts were bio proof and they bought them out. Yeah. And like, they are, so like, they already have a projected cap hit of $44.5 million for three years from now. And the cap's not supposed to be going up. So they already have half of their cap space tied up. Uh, over half their cap space probably by that time and tied up three years from now. Guess how many players they have signed? Six. They have two defensemen in Spurgeon, who, by the way, is going to be 34. Brodeen, who will be 33, or sorry, uh, 31. Uh, Zuccarello, who will be 36. Erickson Eck, Marcus Foligno, and Ryan Hartman is one of the players that are signed. So they have literally their whole core that they'll need to be able to pay, and they're going to have under half the money to do it. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Just, it's just an absolute bombshell out of nowhere, too. Yeah, like there was not even like a rumor that there was a like they were trying to move Parise at the deadline to the, the Islanders, and everyone thought the contract was unmovable, and they just go, ah, you know what, we're just gonna buy you guys out instead. Which like, I I I was shocked. Like I, I literally couldn't. I thought someone was trolling when it came across my screen, but no, it was from Russo, who I'm blocked by, so I knew it was real because I had to go to my other account to figure <laughs> out what it was being said. Yeah, I, I triple checked before bothering to react because I was like, there's not a chance in hell this is real. Just insanity. And that's what this week has been because there's more insanity to talk about somehow too. But like, I cannot wrap my head around this uh, from a Minnesota standpoint. 
from the player standpoint, um, I would be shocked if Parise doesn't go to the Islanders. I know they don't have a ton of cap space, but I can totally see him taking like a one-year deal and playing at like $1 million or whatever. Um, For Lou or back yeah. to the two. Exactly, right? And like it sounded like they were trying to move him there at the deadline. So like I would be pretty surprised. Like that would be my odds on favorite be the Islanders. Again, they have such little cap space to work with this right now um, that I don't know if they'll be able to do it, but – if he was willing to sign for close to league men, you're not going to get a better value contract just in general than that anyways. So I could see them take again instead of he's probably a Casey Sazikas replacement or whatever, but. Yeah. He, he could be like this year's sort of Jason Spence or whatever. Yeah. Like Travis a- Zajac who they, they acquired at the deadline. Especially because from the outside, there's only really two things we can point to generally, and that's that players like Freeze and Suter will want to win or they'll want to go home. But they both went to Minnesota to go home, right? And neither of them won anything. So they could very well just be mercenaries going cup hunting now. <laughs> and Suter sounds like he will be because the reports out right now is that Vegas and Colorado are the two teams that might be in the lead to get him. Yeah, like he has that sh- – remember the Shattenkirk, like super small contract with Tampa? Yep. He has that written all over it. Yep, exactly. Like I could see, and Tampa was another name I was going to suggest. Like I know people are not going to want to hear that, but like I, I think he is going to choose one of like the, the top five. And he's like he's still a good defenseman. Like I, I said, uh, by Dom's model, he's a borderline first first pair. I don't think he is first pair, but like he's a good second pair defenseman. And if he signs for like a million dollars, that is going to be some boost to a team that probably barely needs the boost because I would be shocked if he doesn't. Uh, sign with like a top five team already yeah because at well not at worst i'd say probably the most likely outcome is he is what the edmonton others think Duncan Keith is <laughs> yep which we will be getting to in a second um yeah like I, I think that uh that that's a pretty good way to put it because like he's going to i mean you can't say anything with you know without uh for, for certain, right? Because uh, at his, yeah, like at his age, it's not unrealistic. He just drops off a cliff or whatever. But just given what we have out of his history, like it seems pretty reasonable that he's going to be a, at least a useful piece. And if he goes to a team with depth, he doesn't even need to be the guy. So he can be even more useful. Uh, Washington was another name that was he was linked to today. Uh, Friedman and 31 thoughts named Vegas, Colorado, and maybe Washington was the three teams he, he mentioned off my, by Nate, but. I can see um, all three of those making sense for the player. Yeah, I, I, me too. I, I think um, to me, Colorado and Vegas, it makes more sense if you want to win, but Washington, not that they have an open blue line, but there'd definitely be a role for him there where he could kind of play as that second pair guy. And it's not like they will be a bad team next year or anything like that. Yeah, because I'm not particularly high in the Capitals. I don't believe you are, but I can totally see why NHL players would view that as an attractive destination to go cut hunting still. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's get into Duncan Keith. I feel like people are going to be waiting for the Pierre Maguire stuff for me. I'm just, uh, there's been so much insanity. I don't know how mad I can even get over this, but let's get into Duncan Keith first. This is, I'm trying to think of how, so the, the evolving hockey tweeted out, this has got to be one of the worst trades of the last five years. And like for how little assets were exchanged, I definitely agree. I, I think just because of the um, quality of player going back, the Panarin for sod trade, 
the Mark Stone trade is starting to look like one of the worst. And the um uh the Ryan O'Reilly one. Yeah. Um, yeah, those the absolute magnitude of those are worse just because of how good the players are. But the fact that the worst thing they gave up was a third round pick and a mad 24 year old defenseman. And this trade looks so fucking bad. It's just, it's awesome. It's amazing. Like it's, it's impressive. It is so impressive. So I, I, if somehow you've missed it, the Edmonton Oilers went and quote, got their guy uh, in 38 year old, not a 37 year old Duncan Keith, who's got two years left at $5.5 million to do so. They traded a third round pick and Caleb Jones, I believe there is a condition on that pick as well. I'm trying to pull that up right now. Um, conditions, if the Oilers make it to the 2022 Stanley Cup Finals and Keith is top four in playoff time on ice, the pick upgrades to a second. So it's probably a third-round pick. But uh, there's so many angles to go from this. Uh, let's start with the trade itself. Um, let, let's start with Duncan. No, let's – yeah, let's start with Duncan Keith, I guess. He, so – Obviously not, and, and sorry, Tim Soderland, an AHL contract was tossed in just to make the contracts work. Duncan Keith, obviously not what he once was in the beat cup years, but not even like close to that. Like any analytic will tell you he's an absolute shell of himself. Um, some people in Chicago seem to think it's because he was being absolutely ridden like 24 minutes a night still playing kind of top pair minutes, but I'm not really sold that's the case. Uh, Dmitry Filipovic, uh, po- po- Jesus, Dmitry Filipovich had a really good PDO cast out today um, that, you know, looking at the uh, um, uh, trade with Jack Frazier um, and they kind of broke down Duncan Key's play uh, where to the point where in a realistic scenario, you know, maybe he's a good third pair defenseman, but geez, there's a lot that has to go right. And why are you paying $5.5 million for a third pair defenseman? Yeah, that's absolutely insane to me. The best part is, the, all the defense of this trade has come from the quote unquote eye test and how much he won back in 2013. But like, if you watch Duncan Keith playing 31 minutes a night and taking hit after hit, after hit, after hit from those LA King teams and just getting beaten alive, that did not scream to me even back then, like a guy who's going to be good at age 37. No, or 38, because he's got another year left on his deal, right? Like, Yeah, like if you just watched him playing L.A., you could totally under – like back when he was legitimately good, if you did watch him then, you will totally understand why this guy has clearly just been broken down to the point where he's probably not even an NHL player because of the game he played. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like – so, again, maybe there's a scenario where – his leadership brings, you know, the intangibles bring something and he plays on your third pair and he, you know, he doesn't look as bad because it's just, if he's playing like 13 minutes a night, maybe, maybe there is a role for him, right? Trading Caleb Jones, who I would argue is just as good, if not better than Duncan Keith. And I'm not huge on Caleb Jones. I, I think that, you know, he was fine last year. He didn't look great this year, but he's only played 70 NHL games. He's 24. I don't think he's getting much better, but he's probably an okay third pairing defenseman. So that's already kind of what, like, I'm hoping Duncan Keith can be for this Edmonton team to have to trade a third round pick on top of that. And you don't even get salary retention is just the most mind-blowing thing in the entire world. Oh, absolutely ridiculous. 
Because like Jones, I don't even think highly of Jones at all. And this is still insane. Yeah. And like to make things even worse, they do it before the expansion draft and Duncan Key's got his full no move clause still. So now they have to protect him. Oh, it's just an absolute beautiful trade, like vintage Oilers. You think, like, I, I thought Peter Shirelli was still the general manager with this kind of trade. Yeah. And, like, the worst you said, um, Keith being a third pair defenseman, I would argue he's probably not an NHL player, but I could totally see, like, rationale behind believing he can still be a third pair defenseman in the NHL. That's fine and very plausible to me. But in the interviews, Ken Holland called him the second pairing guy behind Darnell Nurse. Yeah, like, they're fully expecting this guy to, like, play big minutes for this team. And, like... And it's not like like Darnell Nurse is, like, peak headman or anyone who's going to just, like, truly shelter Duncan Keith on the second pair either. No, and so, like, I guess, you know, so the the expansion draft thing is maybe not as big of a deal because um, it sounds like Clefbaum might be out all of next year again, which is just super unfortunate. Um, so, you know, if that's the case, they don't need to really worry about protecting him because I don't see why Seattle would be taking him. Uh, it sounds like if they do sign Adam Larson, it'll be after the expansion draft. And I don't think they're going to re-sign Tyson Berry. And, you know, obviously you don't need to sign Chris Russell. So they might lose like a William Logason who's 25. But um, it's still, it's just, it's just kind of like uh, unbelievable that like, and so like, the other thing that I heard, and this was also, I think, on Dimitri's podcast, the PDO cast, was a really good point. It's just like this team, everyone for years has been like, oh, Ken Holland, can't, like last year, Ken Holland in a shit North division was like, he can't go for it every year. And all the scribes defended him. It's like, oh, just wait till he's got cap space. Wait till he's got cap space. And this is what he does with cap space. He goes and spends $5.5 million on a guy who might not be an NHL defenseman and they're going to play him as a second-pair guy, and they still are going to have absolutely no depth up front because the 5.5 they could have probably just spent, like they probably could have got a Thomas Tatar and maybe someone else for a little over 5.5. That would have been like a good second-liner and maybe a good third-liner, and now they're paying 37- and 38-year-old Duncan Keith instead. Like, good for you guys. It's just, Matt, Ken Holland to me is now the greatest example of just like, if somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Because if you're going to defend them, you basically have to go back to, like, 2010 and earlier. But he's been absolutely horrific for, like, the better part of a decade. And then he comes to Edmonton and it looks like, hey, he's not much better than he showed he was for, like, six straight years. Yeah, and, like, half of defending him was when the team literally didn't have a salary cap, so they could spend eight times more than just about any other team in the league. Yeah. Also, when the big marketing efficiency was, hey, Swedish people don't suck. Yeah, and like, and and good for him for like taking yeah. advantage of <laughs> that, and like the the Russian kind of thing in, in early two thousands. But like, there's only so far that that can go when you know that's no longer an inefficiency, and you need to find ways to adapt, or you're going to die. And he has clearly not chosen to adapt because he sucked. Like he. His people don't want to admit it because he was dealt not a great, great hand in terms of the cap, but he has had a shit time in in Edmonton. Like every trade, he is the the uh, Athanasiu trade. He gave up two second round picks to let him play thirty games and walk. Yep. Yeah. Like, what's the best thing he's done in Edmonton? Get Poliarvi to come back. 
Yeah. And then probably like trade a fifth for Tyler Ennis and then re-sign him. Yeah. Like that's, that's rough for your calling card after multiple years of having the best player on earth. Yeah. And it's just like, and so, and the main matters worse. So they go get their guy or whatever in Duncan Keith. And then, yeah, like a day later, Sutter comes out. And it's like, well, I'd rather have Sutter at two. And, you know, maybe, and we've seen Suter, like I've seen Suter mock to like eight different teams already. But, uh, you know, like I would much rather a Suter or, um, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think there was another defenseman that was rumored to be moved as well today that I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Nick Letty from the Islanders. Um, because yeah. of the cap situation, like I would rather take a flyer on Nick Letty for one more year at, uh, you know, he's making 5.5. Maybe you can get the Islanders retain a million or two. So it's like, at least you're saving a million dollars there and you don't have to pay him the extra year. Or like, I, I just, I don't get it. I really do not understand it. Yeah. Anyone with any creativity could have been able to find better options or at least been smart enough to foresee that better options will become available. Yep. Absolutely. And like, this is one of the most idiotic things I've seen in a very long time. Just every part of it, it just kept getting worse for the Oilers. Like I, I just, I don't understand it, but uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm at a loss of words. And, but you, like, you know what? I'm even more disappointed for like, as a fan of the game, you know, like yeah. I, I want, I, I want to see this team do good. They have the best player on earth. And like at worst, the sixth best player on earth, like, this, this team shouldn't be a team that is barely making the playoffs or getting swept when they do. <laughs> this team is like almost actively holding hockey back by not letting Connor McDavid shine as bright as he should. Yeah. And like the only thing that might save them is that uh, <laughs> the division freaking sucks. So like, there's a very good chance that like, they're probably, they, they, like if they have probably, I, I would assume over a 50% chance of making playoffs next year. Cause they're better than the sharks. They're better than the ducks. They're better than the coyotes. If the flames trade Goudreau, they're better than the flames. I would argue there's a chance they're better than them anyways. So I already listed off four teams right there without even thinking, I think the Kraken are going to be in their division. So like, I, dude, I don't know. Like this is, this is something else. It's just, it's, I just feel so bad. I feel bad for Oilers fans too. Like you finally have cap space after like years of mismanagement, you know, this is our off season. Like we could go get like a Thomas Tatar, another like maybe underrated winger kind of thing. Right. Like there's, there's a bunch of guys who might be available and you go, no, we're going to go spend it on Duncan Keith. Cause he's got three cup rings. It's like, what are you doing? Like, just what are you doing? Yeah, this is, this one was so bad that like I can't. You can't even play devil's advocate to justify it. There's without, no possible way. Yeah. I, without just I making super unrealistic assumptions, like oh they're gonna play him on the third pair and all that kind of use them perfectly, and even it's still stupid then, but they don't even want to do that. So. Yeah, like I would have had a hard time defending this if they got fifty percent cap retention, and they didn't even manage to do that. Yeah, it still would have been bad. It would have been at least like plausibly defendable, but it still would have been pretty dumb. Yeah. So, man, I, I oh, I'm I'm already just exhausted, and you know I've been dancing around this topic, but let's get into it. Uh, Edmonton saw the Ottawa Senators do something pretty questionable. You could say stupid, and went hold my beer with this Duncan Keith stuff, but. Uh, 
Earlier yesterday, uh, I woke up to the news that Pierre McGuire had been hired by the Ottawa Senators to be something, something, vice something of player development. Um, pretty fancy title for something that might not have much to do with like, it might not be that important of a role. Um, what's scary is that there's a lot of rumors that like they did this because Dorian's in the last year of his contract. And if things go poorly with that, he might be the um, next up for a GM spot, which fucking scares me. But um, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I, I'm trying not to just absolutely rant because um, I feel like, you know, but like, <laughs> So I went through like a lot of emotions yesterday and waking up, it's the what on earth? No, no, this is not real. No, someone's playing an April Fool's joke. And then you realize it's not April Fool's. And then you're just kind of filled with dread. And then I thought about it and I'm not happy with it, obviously. But the more the day went on, I think the less angry I was about it. Like I wouldn't have done this move straight up on the, like, I think it's not a good hire. Um, you know, I hope it works out. I, I said a couple times because, uh, and we'll get into, I know you want to talk about the media and, and sense Twitter as well. And we'll get into that for sure. But I said a couple times yesterday, just because I don't agree or don't like a move doesn't mean I want to see the guy fail. Like he's a part of the team now. Of course, I'd much rather, I hope he makes just all the most like analytically savvy moves and leads this team to a cup rather than him just doing stupid shit and flaming out. Cause the second thing is just going to make me pissed off. Right. But yeah, as the day went on, there was some points that were like pointed out, like even like Ryan Lambert was on not like defending the hire a little bit, which I would have never expected. And, um, you know, it still boils down to the point where it's like the best option would have been no team to hire him. Um, and like, I would have much rather that, but um, I, I don't know. Like I, I just, part of me doesn't think this is going to be as big of a deal as some people make it out to me because I can see a situation where a, he probably doesn't have as massive of a role as we even think. And B it sounds like everything he thinks is what Pierre Dorian already thinks. So it's unfortunately just kind of reconfirming biases that are not good and have hurt the team already. But I think those biases probably would have happened no matter what. So while it's like, it's, it's, I, I'm not, I'm not, and like, this is me just trying to rationalize it because I don't think, like, I would have never, ever made this high. Like, I, I don't think it's a good hire. I don't think it's smart. I think there's much more qualified people for a position like this or to be the ear of the, the GM or whatever. But like, just in terms of like, a lot of people were dunking on it and pretty fairly so, but it's like, is it as bad as everyone's making out to be? Maybe not, but I think it's still a pretty stupid move regardless. Yeah, that's fair. Like, if they do see him as a future GM, this is beyond disastrous. It's almost difficult to put into words, I would think. But as it stands now, I think the actual expected value of this move isn't too bad because I doubt whatever the heck his title is, vice president or something, can actually affect a team that badly. It's just correlated with a whole bunch of other horrible ways of thinking that are really bad for the team but that makes sense yes and, and um i've seen a couple times now a couple people have hinted that you know his his tv shtick of like really super anti-analytics um was more just a shtick like he was kind of okay. playing it up for the camera and I've heard that. do you believe that like 
not I, I believe that he probably doesn't fucking hate analytics with every little bo- passion of bone in his body or whatever. But like, yeah. I don't think he actually just sits back and enjoys analytics. I think he's against them because he doesn't understand them. And that scares me as a fan as well. Exactly. Because I saw people say that. They're like, oh, it was just for the television. If you believe Pierre Maguire was going on anti-analytics rants to speak for television ratings, I think you spend way too much time on Twitter because I guarantee you the average person tuning into Lightning Coyotes on a Wednesday night does not give a shit one way or the other about analytics, and that would do absolutely nothing for TV ratings. The Occam's razor is just that that's how he feels. Yeah, and like he had a quote because someone brought it up and they asked him, like, do you – you know, like take us through your, their thoughts on analytics or whatever. And it's something about, I don't hate analytics, but I, uh, I, you know, you need boots on the ground as, as, as well. And it's like, well, and I think it was Jeffler again, who said this would be an acceptable answer if you didn't spend the last three years, absolutely bashing analytics, because what he did was not say you need a mix. Any analytics person will say, yes, you need a mix of analytics and the eye test. What he was saying is anytime the fourth liner made a play, he would be like, you can't measure that with analytics. And it's like, well, yes, you absolutely can. They just made a high danger play. And that is very much so measured in analytics. Like, it's not like he was mixing analytics with the eye test or saying you need to do that. He was just openly bashing analytics. And, you know, so like, that's the thing where, again, that kind of scares me quite a bit. Exactly. And it doesn't even have to be like an analytics thing. Like if I spent, if once every four weeks on this podcast for the past year and six months, I said, doctors are stupid because the medical community believes COVID-19 doesn't exist. Like that would concern you because I am clearly just aggressively overconfident and aggressively wrong at the same time. And that's not a good sign no matter the topic. And that's basically what most of his analytics comments come down to because they're all horseshit that no analytics person actually believes. Yeah, exactly. Like he just, he's been spewing garbage for well over a year now. Like, and it's gotten way worse over the past year, it feels like. And again, like I, I'm sure some of it is a bit of a, a shtick for TV, but like, I, I get, I don't think it's that aggressive where it's like, no, he's actually going to do a 180. And, um, you know, we, we can get into Ottawa. I mean, like there was so much reaching and just, I don't want to say bootlicking, but oh my God, you think this team would just like, if and this is fandom, right? Like when the team, you know, as it's been a long couple years of the team rebuilding, they finally look pretty promising. You know, they're on the way up, and it just like so much of this fan base. No matter what move they make, it cannot be wrong. And that was yesterday, where it's like the collective of Twitter spent the past year absolutely dunking on this dude. And Ottawa turns around and hires him and everyone's like, no, this is actually awesome because he has 30 years of hockey experience. By the way, he has not been in a front office, I don't think, for like 25 years or something like that. So it's like, yeah, he has a lot of experience just sitting there being a a weird, creepy analyst. Like there's probably more qualified people to do a better job than that. And like just the the over defending that came from hockey uh, sense Twitter yesterday was just it was honestly unbelievable because anyone, if you, if you said a bad word about it, it was shut up. You guys have never played the game. You haven't worked in the industry. How would you know? And it's just like, is this really what we're going to do? Confirm to authority right now, because the guy's been in hockey for 30 years. Like we just went over how Ken Holland has been one of the shittiest GMs over the past two years. That dude has been in hockey forever. It doesn't mean it's a good thing right now. Exactly. And like, 
from what I saw, the best actual defense was like, oh, he knows a lot of prospect names and him being in development is good. But like speaking as someone whose best skill relative to the population as a whole is probably mental math, which has been replaced by computers a long time ago. Like if your best skill is something that can be Googled, that's not actually a useful skill. Like that's not a marketable thing. Yeah. Like, and there's like, no value in that when elite prospects exist. Well, and just like, like Ottawa's got such a, and, and obviously you can always improve, but like Ottawa's drafting isn't an issue. Or like g- generally speaking, you know what I mean? Like obviously, yeah, they go off the board with like Tyler Clevin picks and stuff like that. But like they've pulled Drake Batherson out of the fourth round. Mark Stone was a sixth round pick or fifth round pick. Mike Mike Hoffman was a sixth round pick. Like they routinely pick really good NHL players out of late rounds. It's not like it's the Buffalo Sabres who haven't grown or the Edmonton Oilers who haven't grown an NHL talent past the first round in a decade. Like, and so if you're, if you have that little of a budget, why are you doubling down on like the guy's only skill is knowing prospects or whatever? Like, I just, I, I don't really understand. Yeah. Like have an intern to Google their names. If that's what you <laughs> Yeah. And like, so like, I don't know, like Ian Mendes had a really good article on the athletic of just like looking at, you know, some of the good, like the polar East. So the, the, the article tires, Pierre McGuire is one of the most polarizing NHL TV analysts. Now he's trying to bring stability to the senators. You know, another argument for it is that, you know, uh, he obviously knows everyone around the league. And um, despite what the article from 30 years ago of quotes saying that players didn't respect him, it does sound like a bunch of people respect him because he's interviewed for like every job opening over the past five years, it feels like. Um, So like one of the arguments is like, if he can just come in and, and just be a guy who at least helps with the front office and takes a little off Dorian in terms of not like negotiating with players or anything like that, but just calling around the league because he knows everyone sure, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. It's just, I don't know. It just feels like a redundant hire where like the amount of stretching that had to be done to defend it in any way, it just feels so aggressive for what the best possible outcome could be, you know? Yeah. Is the send, I'm not that plugged in. From what I saw, just the quick turnaround here and the appeal to authority that you mentioned, Like, are the Sens media the next biggest water carriers behind the Oilers in the entire league? I don't know if it's – there's definitely a couple. But, like, uh, no, I would say no. Like, there's a lot – there was a lot of, like, shit given to Melnick. But it depends who you're talking about. Because Bruce Garriock is literally just the mouthpiece for the team. And he can try and tell you he's not, but he is. Literally, he came off of vacation because he was hand-fed this scoop um, by the team as an exclusive story for the sun, because he literally, he was the only one who had access to it. The sun sat on the story. It came out of nowhere. And he's the one who got the the breaking story at eight in the morning. Like he is literally the biggest mouthpiece for the team I could ever picture. So yes, he carries all the water in the world and ever just about everyone knows that, Um, you know, past that there's a handful of guys that um, like any market, I feel like are pretty overly optimistic, but the big one yesterday that we saw was, uh, uh, um, TSN Simmer, um, John Simpson, again, seems like a pretty good guy. Uh, he openly admitted that morning that he is friends with Pierre Maguire. And I feel like he just kind of went a little overboard defending him throughout the day. Like, so I, I don't know, like, it's just, they're definitely, it's like every market where there is definitely guys who will, uh, carry the water for the team, but there's one really big one in Ottawa. And then 
I don't know. Yesterday there was a few guys just absolutely losing their minds. It felt like, but yeah, it just felt like a lot was rushing to defend this team. Like, I feel like he takes a lot of shit and like, he's clearly pro Dubas, I would think. But like I, if the Leafs hired Pierre Maguire to be their assistant coach, I don't think James Myrtle is writing a going about how great it is on Twitter. No, like, yeah. And like, I don't know. And part of it is just like, again, it's been such a long time or long three or four years for like, it it was a brutal rebuild of just like accepting that, you know, you're going to suck. You're going to suck for a while. And now coming out of it, I think everyone kind of wants to be positive, but yeah, just like the aggressive, like just 180 that people have done. It's like the thing you can still make mistakes while rebuilding. That is okay. Like, and calling out those, those mistakes doesn't mean you want the team to fail or anything like that. Like, or even that you're overly negative. Like I saw it's like um, my buddy, Brandon Mackey, the great follow for anyone who wants to follow more sense people, uh, Brandon Mackey underscore, you know, he, he's pretty good. Like I would say he's one of the more um, positive guys, all things considered on, on sense Twitter. And he was like, I don't think this move really makes that much sense. Um just in general. Right. And people were jumping all over him. I was like, Oh, you're just absolutely like so negative. Nothing, nothing's good enough for you. It's like, guys, like relax. He just said like a guy who's been shit talking analytics for a year, maybe isn't the hire that, you know, a, a department that should be shifting towards analytics should be wanting to hire. Right. Like. Yeah. And that's perfectly reasonable. I find it odd where the defense comes from too, because I have more respect for the Sens front office. The deeper you think about it, when you think about all that they have had to deal with, with Melnick, but like there's still, I hope no illusions that they're a top five or top 10 front office in the league, which at which point, why is it such a race to defend? Yeah. I, I, I could not tell you. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like, um, and again, like even with Pierre Dorian, it's like, seems like a nice enough guy and and you can go back and forth on the good and bad he's done but until he can prove he can find the right additions to truly get this team over the hump and put them back in the playoffs he did the easiest possible job of a rebuild which is selling elite talent he did really good on one trade where i thought he got lucky he did really shit poor on another trade and then knocked like the duchene and uh, dezingle trades out of the park but like he did the easiest possible part of a rebuild, which is just selling elite talent at the trade deadline when all teams had a bunch of cap space. And from there, you know, I don't think it's been overly positive since then. He's done nothing but keep re-signing a bunch of bad veterans that have made the team worse to the point where like last year, they actively held them back for like 15 plus games. Yeah. Like, it's not like this has been some fairy tale. And it's not like there were good last year <laughs> like they were the perfect kind of bad for a rebuilding team where they weren't like getting massacred every night but they weren't good yeah i mean like and then there was a lot of thought from sense twitter that if the season was 66 games and not 56 they might have made the playoffs and if that was the case it's because calgary montreal and vancouver literally refused to win hockey games like they wanted to lose everything possible and like yes you got to win your own games but like i don't know like it just it feels like i don't know i think Heading into this year, some Sens fans might be disappointed because 
Um, uh, Ottawa had a really good run when they were basically eliminated last year. And we've seen year after year after year from there, like whether it's Buffalo or Toronto did it for a decade, it feels like where when they were mathematically eliminated or close to it, they went on a run playing pressure free hockey and heading into that off season, you go, well, we, we finished the year nine Oh and one or whatever. Like this team is going to be amazing next year. It's like, well, no, actually like it just happened by the end of the year, they were playing a bunch of teams who also didn't care or were already in the playoffs and really, really did not care because they were just trying not to get hurt, you know? Yeah, exactly. And also, like, their goal differential was way worse than all the teams with roughly as many points as them in the standings, which is really, really concerning going forward. Yeah, like, I I don't know. I think I will have them third last in their division, but I think it'll be by a good mark. Like, I, I don't really... I don't know. Like, it depends on what happens this offseason, obviously, and, you know, all the additions and stuff. But, like, if you told me that they finished a distant sixth in this division where it's like they just were not close to the top three or Florida or Montreal, and they were a decent amount ahead of Detroit and Buffalo, but, like, they just kind of finished 23rd in the league or whatever, I would not be shocked. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, they're, they're at a big advantage because the Buffalo Sabres are going to be hilariously pathetic. Yeah, and Detroit is still openly admitting they're rebuilding. So, yeah. But I don't know. Like, I, I, I want to be positive about this team. I really do. Cause it is like, uh, like just story after story is not fun being negative. And, you know, even in their group chat, they asked me, you know, what's fun about Ottawa right now? It's like, well, their young core is awesome to watch. Like, I had a ton of fun watching hockey last year because Tim Stutzel, Thomas Shabbat, uh, Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson, like all those guys are a blast to watch play hockey, but it's just like, like, and, and I, if, if they make a playoff run that, or like try and make, you know, are close to the playoffs, that would be absolutely awesome. Like I, I want to see that, but like, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like it's like there's reports coming out of Ottawa media that it might be playoff for or bust for uh, Melnick next year, which is scary. Um, and also just like a lot of the fan base, I think does think that, uh, um, you know, they should be right around that playoff bubble. And I I think, you know, if that's the expectations heading into the year, there could be some disappointment because that's not really where I have them. I think they, they need to add quite a bit this off season if they're going to do that. Yeah, it would be. The other thing is, do you want them to make the playoff? Like if they come eighth, is that actually a good thing? I think it's better than finishing ninth last and getting the 10th overall pick or whatever. That's true. Like if, I think they are probably past the point of getting top five picks now. Like I, I would be disappointed if they finish bottom three again next year in terms of like, obviously a top three pick is always fun, but like, I think it would be a disappointing year in terms of the young guys taking a step forward. If they're back in the bottom three, unless, unless like goaltending absolutely shits out or something, obviously. Yeah. The old big period or whatever. Yeah. I don't see a way in which they're absolutely horrible outside of PDO luck but it's it's tough to see them being anything but mediocre for a while given how they're locked in and that's the thing where it's like they definitely need another elite piece so it's like another top pick wouldn't be bad in terms of that way but like and maybe Tim Stutzel becomes that like if if Tim Stutzel takes another jump forward suddenly they might not be that mediocre anymore you know like and yeah if Jake Sanderson comes in and is even just a solid second pair defenseman in a couple of years, and you can run Shabbat Sanderson and then go find any just remotely okay free agent to play with them on the right side. 
like suddenly I don't think the team's that bad. I, I do think that if they want to be a legitimate, like Stanley cup threat in a couple of years, they really do need to find another star piece. And, you know, maybe that comes internally. Maybe you have to find that by trade. I don't really know, but um, like, I, I, I think they, they definitely need a, another, at least one more piece of high end talent. And again, maybe, maybe they hit on that this draft. I know it's not like a, a great draft or anything like that, but we've seen weird years where it's like sometimes in a not great draft up top guys in like the 20 area get, you know, are, are the guys that uh, you really find just an absolute gem in. So I, I don't know, like it's, they definitely need an extra piece or two up front um, whether that's through this year's draft or if they have it already, I'm not sure, but I, I agree with you where it's like this team, just from what we saw last year is definitely not ready to be like, a cup threat in a year or two if they don't add anything. No, not at all. Um, we're going pretty long. We, I forgot we have, a, we have about two more pieces of news. Um, Pekka Rennie retired. Uh, congrats to him on a great career. I don't really have much more to say than that. He, uh, he was up and down over the past couple of years. He'd have a really bad year and then a really, really good year. And then I think he has, he's had two not great years in a row now. So, and he was just getting older. Um, so it makes, it makes enough sense that, uh, He's hanging up the skates, but, um, you know, honestly, a, a really good career. Just, uh, you know, I think he had a Vesna a couple of years ago, too. Like, turned it on late as well. Obviously, that 2017 playoff run, too. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I figured, you know, shout out to him. Uh, congrats on a solid career. But uh, it'll it'll be weird not seeing him in the league anymore. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here, too, because they still have uh, um, UC Soros, who was unreal last year to end the year. It'll be really interesting to see if he can be that starting goaltender. They've hoped he could be for three or four years or now. And then obviously they just drafted uh, who's the Russian. Is it Askarov? Yes. Yes. They have Askarov in the system as well. So it's not like they are uh, short on goalie talent in the upcoming future, but um, yeah, congrats to Rene on a, on a great career. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if Saros can really take the reins again this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Saros does, like, truly on his own. He was, like, clearly the starter this year, but I imagine mentally it's tough to, like, fully get in the mindset that I'm slam dunk the starter no matter what when you have a guy with as much pedigree as Rene behind you. Yeah, like, if I struggle, no one's bailing me out here, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because, like, even though Rene struggled, he's got so much cachet in that organization. You got to be self-aware enough to know that if shit hits the fan, they're going right to read. Yeah, exactly. And like even last year, you know, I mean, his goal saved above uh, expected were brutal minus 10, but his goal saved above average was like zero. So he was like, from that, he was like an average goal. It depends what you look at. And then, yeah, 2019, 20, it was ugly. And uh, 2018, 19, it was very strong. So, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see Saros. Um, the other thing I want to mention too, is I forgot about this trade because it happened the day of us re- releasing the podcast, but uh um, they traded Victor Arvidsson to the LA Kings. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes, I went, we were going through. So they, they get a second-round pick in 2021 and a third-round pick in 2022 um, from the Kings. Uh, for Nashville, like, we've talked about this a lot. I, I think this is the right step. I, I really do think that they need to start building for the future here. Um, it sounds like they're going to leave Matt Duchesne un, um, un, unprotected in the Seattle expansion draft. Um, I don't blame them there, um, either really like, 
I, I wonder if they're going to go four and four or if they're going to still go seven and three. I wouldn't protect uh, Dante Fabro because he's been horrible, but I can definitely see a world in where they do want to protect Dante Fabro because he's 23 still. So, you know, maybe they go Philip Forsberg, uh, probably Ryan Johansson, I would assume is still going to be protected. I guess Callie Yarncroke and like Eli Tolvanen or something. Yeah, they could almost sell a, <laughs> sell a protection spot. Yeah, I, the Philip Forsberg, I can't remember my name. So Johansson Forsberg, there's two. I would assume, I think they need to protect Tolvanen. And then, yeah, like literally it's like, take your pick between ya- Yakov Trenin probably, actually, they, they would probably protect 24-year-old um, who broke out last year. But um, yeah, like I, I think this team should really be tearing, starting to tear it down. Like I would be actively trying to move I think you could probably move Forsberg at the deadline. Like as much as I like Forsberg, he's 26. If you're going to do a three-year rebuild or whatever, maybe you could keep him. Like maybe he could be like the JVR of what the Leafs had or whatever, right? Where it's like you sign him to a four-year deal and keep him till he's 30-something and he can be help the new guys. But uh, if you can get good value, I would trade him. I would be looking to trade Ekholm. I would have traded Ekholm last year, but I would be looking to trade him. And um, honestly, I would maybe even be debating about trading Ryan Ellis because he's 30 and has a very long contract. Yeah, I honestly don't think there's a single keeper on the National Predators roster. If no, I like, no, like I'm maybe UC Soros, but even him, like I feel like anyone could be had for a price. I, I will. They're going to keep someone like Roman Yossi, and like I don't know if you want to argue that you can keep one of one or two of those guys for like. So the, so you can ease uh, rookies in when you, when you need to, I, I can kind of get behind that, but like, yeah, like I would actively be trying to sell like Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson. If you could Roman Yossi or someone like that, I would probably go for it. Yossi's got a full no move. So I kind of doubt that happens, but um, yeah, like I think there's not a name where it's like, they can't trade him. No, not at all. It's not like you're trying to think of an example usually teams have at least somebody who's untouchable but the, the predators absolutely do not look that way no not well like let's take columbus for example if they're going to start a rebuild i would not be trading zach Wierenski. that's fair my right? like it, it, usually you have like one guy like that right like my one example is going to be Ico and buffalo but whoopsie <laughs> yeah but when when the player forces out because you're an organization so incompetent it uh yeah, it, it makes sense. But um, yeah, for, for Nashville, I think this makes sense. A second and third, not bad value for Arvidsson. You know, obviously take a bit of step down. I don't I don't hate it from Los Angeles' perspective either, to be honest. I think they clearly feel like they're in the spot now where they're going to start getting some of these rookies in. Um, you know, uh, they have obviously Gabe Velarde finally got to play last year. He's 21. It feels like he should be way older than that, but he's only 21. Um, they have a, they have one of the most loaded prospect systems, obviously with Quinton Byfields in the minors, Alex Turcott, Arthur Kaliev, Tyler Madden, Akil Thomas. Like they are just absolutely loaded in the minors, especially up front. Um, it really feels like they're going to start moving some guys up in the, up into the lineup. But, and, you know, I just mentioned JVR. That's going to be what Victor Arvidsson is for this team for the next three years, where he's probably going to take some of the harder matchups. He's going to be able to have a guy with skill that you can put some of your young skilled players with. And he's an actual NHL player on a pretty good contract. That's not going to hurt you. And he makes your team better, which they clearly seem to want to get better going forward here. Yeah. It's kind of an, they're kind of in an awkward spot too, 
I know they have an amazing prospect pool. I think they would have been wise to be bad for another year, but I mean, if you have faith in Byfield being who we thought he was going to be coming out of the draft, this looks very, very defensible. Just trying to roll with your amazing prospect pool with your one absolutely top tier stud. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even like some of their other, like Kaliev was supposed to be really, really strong as well. And even if he's like a middle six guy or whatever, and like, um, you know, Velarde looks like he could be a legitimate like stud first liner as well. So like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, there's only so long you can be bad for. And the other thing is, again, we touched on this division. There's an outside shot. This team has like not bad playoff odds. Like, and I know that sounds like, you know, kind of counterintuitive in terms of what a like outside shot, they don't have bad odds, but like, like I'm just looking up the divisions right now and I'm trying to, I'm going to go through the teams that are in their division um, this coming year. And you tell me if you think that LA Kings, let's just say with even just, you know, some um, rookie growth or whatever are going to be better or worse if it's obvious or not. So the golden Knights obviously worse, right? For worse. Yeah. Um, let's go to the Oilers. I would say worse, probably obviously, but like, it worse depends how on average, but plausibly better. Like, if you gave said there's only like a ten percent chance, like I guess it's like a ten or twenty percent chance they could be better. If Quinn is- Byfield's a stud and the Oilers play Duncan Keith twenty three minutes a night, I yep. would not be shocked if the LA Kings finish ahead, right? Yeah, and say Patterson has a better save percentage than whoever Edmonton starts. Yep, um, the Flames again, same kind of thing. I think on average. They're pro- the Flames are going to be better this year, but if they sell Goudreau, suddenly I'm not really sure. Like, I'm not as sold on that, you know? Yeah, if the Flames go for a fire sale, LA could even be just outright favored. Yep, um, the Canucks, uh, again, like, they, the Canucks need Pedersen to be healthy, they need Hughes to be back to normal, and they need Demko to be unreal again. Um, like, I, I, I would probably say the Canucks are a better team heading into this year, but this is getting close, closer and closer to a coin flip of, like, I can see the Kings, especially if Cal Pedersen is like just the 10th best goalie in the league or whatever, like they might make this division interesting in terms of that third spot. Yeah. Like if the Kings don't even need that many prospects to hit, like Calia was great in the AHL by field, supremely talented. It doesn't take much for this team to be equally as good as the Canucks. No, like they need one to take a big step forward. I think up front, whether that's Velarde again or whether that's Byfield. Um, and then they probably need one on the defensive end to just be okay as well. Like, I don't like, they probably got to stop playing Drew Doughty so freaking much too. But like, I don't hate Matt Roy or Sean Walker. They're just kind of fine. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what Tobias Bornfoot has. Um, and, um, you know, Michael Anderson's up there right now. Um, so like they, they, they don't need a ton to hit. But like, again, then you get into Arizona. I would... I think I might have this team ahead of Arizona this year. They have better cup odds than Arizona. And I have a hard time arguing that the Coyotes are better than the Kings. Yep. Um, the Ducks. I think the Kings are going to be better than the Ducks. Uh, only thing aside is maybe if the Ducks get uh, John Gibson from three years ago. Yeah, if Gibson goes nuts. But the roster itself is probably better than the Ducks. And the Sharks, at this point, I think the Sharks are cooked. I, I just think they're too old. So, like, I, I think the Kings are going to be better than the Sharks, too. Yeah. God, that division is pathetic. <laughs> right? So, like, it's a sad event. And, like, I can't even remember. I'm, the Kraken, I think, are actually in this division. The Coyotes might be out. But, like, I don't think the Kraken are going to be 
unreal. You know, like I, I know we didn't say that about the Vegas Golden Knights either. I'll wait till I see their roster, I guess. But like, it wouldn't shock you if the Kraken are the 28th best team in the NHL or whatever, right? So, yeah. I mean, the most likely outcome is still just the Kraken are as bad as we thought Vegas was going to be. Yeah. So, but like, that's why I mean, so like for the Kings, like I don't really, I don't really hate that. And, and this is just this year. Look from two years from now. Like, I think there's a, a good chance in t- like two years from now, the Flames are worse. The Golden Knights might not because of the cap crunch. Might they, they, They'll still be unreal, but they're, I, they might take a step back. Who freaking knows what the Oilers are going to do with their cap space? I think the Sharks are still a ways away. The Kraken won't be good. If they're not good this year, they're not going to be good next year. I think in two to three years from now, it might literally just be like, if the Canucks finally figure their shit out, it might be them battling for the second, third, and fourth spot, maybe with the Oilers, right? Like, yeah. Don't, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think this is a pretty sneaky pickup for um, the Kings. You know, may, I, maybe you could argue is a year ahead of time, but um, you know, if, if your guys are, if there's a guy available, go get them, I think. And, and they had uh, extra picks too, right? Like they had St. Louis's second. So they still have a second rounder this year. Uh, they have Pittsburgh's third next year. And that can turn into a second. If Jeff Carter does some stuff, I think. Um, and they have Toronto's third this year as well. So they have an extra third this year and they're still going to have a pick in the second and third round that they gave up. So um, I, I think this is, I don't know. I, I really think that this is a, a pretty solid trade overall for both sides. Like I, I can see why both sides did this. Yeah. It works well in both directions. And this is, this is a good way of weaponizing cap space. I think if you're the Kings as well, like I would, like, I don't mind seeing this at all. And they, you know, they kept a, I'm not going to say pretty clean. That Drew Doughty contract is ugly. And, you know, Quick's only got two more years. Their cap sheet doesn't look as bad as I thought, to be honest. No, it's too bad the Doughty and Kopitar contract lengths weren't flipped. Yes. Yeah, because, yeah, the, the Doughty one's the super ugly one. And then I, I always thought the Kopitar one's ugly, but he's only got three more years left. And, like, he's probably not worth $10 million these days. But even if he's worth, like, six or seven for the next couple of years, you're going to be able to survive that, no problem. Yeah, 100%. And, like, Kopitar's still still pretty good yeah it's not like he's a bum player or anything like that he's just not peak kopitar that we saw during the cup runs or whatever exactly if there's a ton of players in this league that if they had a year as good as kopitar last year it would be celebrated like crazy yeah um okay we're at like an hour and a half we're going real long here do you want to touch on travis Dermott or not uh the Dermott contract was fine it might have been like a 200k over do you think this makes it more or less that Seattle takes more or less likely that Seattle takes him? Probably like one eight hundredth of a percent less likely. See, I think more just because if I'm Seattle, you have to negotiate with so many people. You have so much work to do. If I'm Seattle, I don't really care that I could have maybe got Travis Dermott at 1.2 if I negotiated myself. I think I'm happy that he's not an RFA that I have to negotiate anymore. Pick him, done, not worried about it. Yeah, that's fair. Dermot really does seem like the type of guy who's going to get picked by the expansion team. Like Travis is the type of player that succeeded in Vegas. Yep. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be him or like Pierre Engvall or Kerfoot probably. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be funny. (laughs) Okay. I said we weren't going to get into this, but go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) It's going to be funny if they end up going seven forwards, three defensemen, and then losing Dermot anyways. I was just about to say, what what is your thought on not protecting Justin Hall? Because I've seen that as a very popular take on Leafs Twitter lately. And I'm not sure I really understand it. The dude is making $2 million. You've asked him to be a fourth defenseman, which 
is basically what he's been. Like, it's not like you can expect more from him, but he's been a fine guy to play alongside a guy who is, you know, dragging, not dragging him, but obviously carrying that pairing. I don't really understand the sudden hate for Justin Hall. Yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere too, especially because his most logical replacement is Dermot, who had like the worst play in the playoffs. Yeah, and like, like I get like and Dermot's had pretty good underlying numbers for a couple of years, but some guys just can't take that jump. And like, I don't know, like you know, Hall is a whatever fourth defenseman. You have three good defensemen, and it looks like Sandine is going to be pushing there too. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Sandine's a a legitimate top four by the end of this year too. Like, why do you? I don't know why fans are insisting on like moving away from Justin Hall, especially because for a team that has complained and, and the complaint with the Travis Dermott contract was mainly like, if you're going to pay your big guy so much, you need to be winning on all of your Travis Dermott type contracts, which I don't think is an unreasonable argument, but like Justin Hall is one of the few like value spots they actually have on this team right now where they're paying their fourth defenseman $2 million. Yeah. Justin Hall is like the perfect kind of player. All of us nerds were so excited about Kyle Dubas being the GM for it. Like they turned the paperclip into not a house, but like something at least all right. Like Justin Hole is something for nothing. And he's paid like he's basically nothing. And he's not great, but he's he plays his role fine. He's fine. Like, yeah, it's just like for considering what they have on the rest of the team where you can put a Jake Muzzin beside him and the the pair is a very fine pair. Like, I just, I don't know how you complain about that or actively want it off the team. Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it either. I know it's like, his RIPM looked worse by the end of the year or whatever, but it's still pretty clear that him and Muzzin as a pair functions all right. Yeah. And, 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 and maybe the argument is you don't want to lose him either, but Dermot is five years younger and now 500K less. And, I mean, if you really think that Dermot can do exactly what Hall does, then I guess it's fair enough. But I, I was just a little surprised because it felt like it was like, not not just like, hey, if we lose Justin Hall, that sucks, but whatever. It was like, get Justin Hall off this team. And I was kind of just caught off guard by it, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Unless there's something that I'm unaware of about Liljegren's development. but I don't think so, from what I've heard anyways, but... Yeah, he had a really good season in the AHL like one year ago, but his very limited NHL samples has not looked truly inspiring, and he didn't exactly massacre the AHL this year either. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, I think that's it. That's a pretty long episode. Uh, hopefully, we, I think we'll probably get back to every week again um, for the next couple of weeks here because the expansion draft is coming up and free agency is coming up and the actual NHL draft is coming up. It is going to be a busy couple of weeks here for Content Chase. Um, so we will get back to you all hopefully weekly, um, you know, as long as there's news to talk about and everything. And, um, you know, even as we get into the summer, I think at worst we're going to try and do every other week. But um, ideally every seven to ten days is still going to be our plan. Um We'll probably have more guests on during the summer, do a bunch of, you know, top, top 10 player lists and stuff like that, you know, that we always kind of enjoy, but uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. Um, as always, thank you for all the support for, you know, like shares, even just, you know, that, that listens. It mean, means a lot. Uh, you can find Chase on Twitter at CM hockey 66, myself on Twitter at NHL sends and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.